Welcome to Night Night Bitch. I'm your host, Molly, your guide to awe-inspiring texts read by me or in the voices of their original creators. Please know I don't own any of this content. It's all freely accessible online and duly cited in my episode descriptions for your reference. This podcast is a creative outlet for me, so I don't update it as regularly. But if you'd like to subscribe to my other podcast, Back From The Borderline, I release two thought-provoking episodes each week. And now, let's dive into the episode. Welcome. It's time to rest your weary mind, unwind, escape the matrix, and explore the arcane. We live in a culture that is rapidly losing its grasp on myth and meaning. Exploration of philosophy, depth psychology, esotericism, the occult, myth, and mysticism have been proven to inspire awe. Such experiences of daily awe have been shown to be psychologically beneficial and aid in the potential expansion of consciousness. Each time we're here together, I'll select a reading, article, or sample audio that could increase your opportunity for such experiences. While you listen, you might fall asleep. You might wake up. You might do both. Maybe finding the perfect balance between awake and dreaming is exactly what you always needed. Night night bitch. This is the exercise for your own development process designed by you. You should be hearing my voice in your right ear. Remember the purpose, your purpose for this exercise. And begin your pre-preparation process now. The affirmation beginning, I am more than my physical body. We are part of a happening of some sort or other. This is it. We are it right now. We came to a happening and it's happening. Then it will have happened and you will say, I was there when it happened. That's one level. Then there is the level of the intellect. There is nothing more frustrating than coming with your intellect, leading with your intellect, and then ending up singing, Oh Mary, don't you weep. Don't you wail all night? 
some of you come to get fed in your hearts. You come because of love, not the I love you love, but the ocean of love, the Christ love. And you come to taste that love. And you know that when a gathering of relatively pure beings come together, that love can exist and you'd like to drink of that love. For you, you need only breathe in and out of the middle of your chest and breathe gently and deeply and sit straight and over the course of the evening you will fill with that love. Some of you define yourself as spiritual seekers. You are doing sadhana or spiritual practice and you come to hear you come to have satsang or sangha, the community of beings on the path. You come to share a moment with beings on the path and perhaps pick up a method or two and perhaps come away with a little stronger faith in the game that you're playing. And that faith is fed by the intellect and by the heart, but also and more profoundly a feeding of the soul, a feeding of the deeper place within yourself. And some of you are here in order to be it, not to do it, not to learn about it, not to collect it, but to be it, to be God, to be the living spirit, to be here, now, to be in the moment. And for you, I suggest that you don't get too lost in the words. For words come and go, and I can talk endlessly, and it's all fascinating or boring but it's just words. Within the words is the vibration of the spirit and for you, you can use this as a meditation chamber. We have, for this moment, in this space, created a temple. A temple of the spirit just as if you had gone to Jerusalem or India or any sacred space. You just sit quietly and go to God. 
let the words pass through. Now and then your intellect needs a little feeding. Grabs a word here and there. And then you lose the words and you go into your heart. And you feel a feeling and then that goes away. And you feel a clear empty space. A deeper quietness. You may feel energy pour through your body. Experiences. Experiences. And beyond experiences, here we are again. I am an experience. But that isn't it. That's just more stuff along the way. When you don't need the experience, then you're totally free to enjoy it. As long as you think you need it, you have work to do. Am I getting too heavy too fast? Who are you? To the extent that you are a separate entity at all. Just think of you for this moment as an entity. An entity that exists over large expanses of time and goes through experience after experience the same way as today has been full of crossing the street, eating, experience after experience. So spread out you as an entity have gone through literally thousands and thousands of births and deaths. It's just a picture now. Those of you who don't want to buy it, just use your imagination. Time after time you've been born, born into an identity. Then you've died. And each time you've died, you tried to cling to life because you thought when you died, you didn't exist anymore. And then you died, and here you still were. Then something or other happened and you were born again. Birth, death, birth, death, birth, death. The Buddha looked back at one point with a flick of his eye because he was outside of time and space. He saw his last 99,000 incarnations and those were only a drop in the bucket. Here you are, in the middle of one of these rounds. The quality of this round is that it seems very real. You think you're here. You really think this body is who you are, or this personality is who you are. And when the body dies, you figure that's it. With your intellect, many of you know that isn't it. But with your gut, it's still it. 
If you will imagine for a moment now a clock, 12 o'clock being is totally in harmony with everything around it. No differentiation, no separation, a perfect flow. We will give it a familiarity to you and call it the Garden of Eden. There is nothing separate. Everything flows together. All the parts are not identified with their separateness, but with the one. At 12.01, something happens. You are separate. This is your history, your life, your vibes. 12.01, something happens. It has to do with the apple. Because the eating of the apple, we can think of for this moment as the developing of duality of subject-object. It led to the fig leaf. It led to God saying, who told you you were naked? and so on. It's the moment of separation. It's the moment in which the separate identity knows it knows rather than being. It just lost being into knowing. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Can you hear this? 1201 separateness You know you know You ate of the apple of knowledge That's the beginning of lust It's the beginning of greed It's the beginning of doubt It's the beginning of all of the effects of separation from the one 1201 to 559 Life after life Birth, death, birth, death Each life You enter through the womb Build an ego structure that tells you You are a separate entity And spend your life trying to gain Through your own personal power the re-experiencing of that perfect harmony that you once knew before you became separate. Achievement, orgasm, adventure, all of it designed for that moment of merging, that moment of transcendence trying to create through your own control, your own heaven on earth with you as God, mastery and control. Trying to optimize the strategy of your life so you gain as many of those possible moments that feel like how it used to be, that feel like you're back at the source. Around 4.30, 
you have become a master of the game of using your power to gain gratification. You function under the philosophy that more is better. More is better two ways. One, thickening every experience. So if a bath is good, a bath with incense is better. A bath with incense and bath oil. A bath with incense, bath oil, and someone else in the bathtub. Incense, bath oil, a partner, and stereo earphones. Incense, bath oil, a partner, stereo earphones, wine and cheese. And on and on. More is better, thicker, richer, more and more. Get each experience. Try to get all your senses gratified simultaneously. The feelies of life. So you drive through the night with your stereo sound in your car, smoking, talking, being sexually aroused, speeding. And you say, this is life. Now I'm close to that place of peace. It's true, isn't it? I'm not making it up. I'm just taking your picture. Then the other way that's more is better and getting the rushes closer together like you're in the middle of dinner and you're wondering about what you'll have for dessert. During dessert, you're already anticipating coffee. After coffee, you're making the dessert. You're only thinking about the coffee, but what you'll do afterwards. And then we'll go bowling, and then maybe a movie. How about an ice cream soda? A ride? Home? Music? Let's make love. What's in the refrigerator? And on and on it goes, rush after rush. Because between every rush, in which you are lost in the rush, and you've lost your self-consciousness into the experience and you're back in the source, between every one of those rushes is that little panic of separation. And there's the seeking of the next rush. And if you're really good, you can get them closer and closer and closer together and then you can almost have an illusion that there is no space. And you figure, if I had more money, more power, then I could do it. That's around 4.30 to 5.59. It's not going to work. You've done it hundreds of times life after life. If only I were this, then I would do this. If only I made this much money and have two cars and a winter vacation and a fur coat and insurance policies and my children are secure, then I will experience that. You go through it again and again and again. At 5.59 you recognize Christ was in fact correct. 
strangely enough. This is not a commercial, when he said, Lay not up your treasures where moth and rust doth corrupt, because it's not going to do it. That's my paraphrase. 559. Despair. Everything you could figure out to do didn't do it. You drank it, crocheted it, ate it, smoked it, shot it, read it, looked at it, caressed it, and it didn't do it. For a moment it did it, but here we are again. At the mobile end of the Memphis Blues again. 601. These are all incarnations now, they're not just minutes on a clock. 601. In fact, some of them are hundreds of incarnations. Sometimes just one incarnation. Depends on how fast you go. 601. You just got born like every time before. I want more, give me more. You're a good child. You're taught how to be a good human being, but it's 601. And somewhere in the middle of that particular round, there is a flash. There's a parting of the veil. There's a seeing through the illusion of separateness. There is a moment of awakening. There's the point at which you begin to know or sense who you are. Prior to that, between incarnations, you saw that moment, but now it's right in the middle of the incarnation that happens. Wow. So that's the way it is. It's the moment when you see that who you thought you were is not in fact who you are. It's just who you think you are. That moment of awakening may have come in any particular lifetime through a traumatic experience, through a crisis, through a death in the family, through falling through space. It could have come at a moment of sexual orgasm. It could have come as you're approaching death. It could come at the birth of a child. It could come when the despair and the depression get deep because you see the emptiness of the entire game you've been playing. There are many, many, many conditions. When you're ready for that to happen, a leaf falling could do it. This is called the initial Satori experience in Zen. It's the moment in which there is a moment of clarity and you see through the dance. Actually, in a lifetime, there are many, many of those moments for everyone, but for most people at 4 o'clock, 4.30, 5.30, they're busy denying those because they don't fit in with the model you have of who you are. If you're coming up with me, just take another deep breath and let's go a little higher. 
There was an article in the New York Times in the Sunday Magazine section and it said it was a study of mysticism in America. It turned out that two-fifths of the population of the United States, a sampling showed that two-fifths of the population had at some time in their life a genuine, transcendent mystical experience an experience of breaking through who they thought they were. That's pretty impressive. That's like more than 40 million people. Of those two-fifths, a sampling of those two-fifths showed that 85% of them said it was the most profound experience of my life and I never want to have another one. Of course not because it upsets the apple cart. You're afraid you're going insane. You're going to flip out because you think you need to be who you think you are in order to keep the game going smoothly, to keep your ground. It's scary. It's like waking up out of a dream that most of you have had and being disoriented and not knowing where you are or all the lights go off in the movie theater and you can't figure out where you are and you're disoriented from it all. And then you say, ah, now I'm back, I'm back. Even as high a being as someone like Carl Jung in Memories, Dreams, and Reflections said, I went into these extraordinary realms. I was so happy to come back to my wife and family and reality still clinging to this as opposed to that, to this as reality. By around 7.30, you're ready to recognize that you are here on earth as a soul who has taken birth in order to work through the attachments and clingings within yourself that keep you identified with your separateness and thus allowing you to once again become one with the one or return to the source or to know your true self. When that recognition is deep enough, the whole meaning of your life changes and the meaning of every subsequent incarnation changes. You'll notice that at 4.30 you were busy being separate and at the moment of death, because you were totally identified with your separateness, you said, I don't want to die. Stop the world. I don't want to get off. Hold on, doctor. Save me. Implant. Transplant. Do whatever you have to do, but keep me alive. You grab the bedsheets and say, keep me alive. I don't want to die because death is the end of it all. Because you are a philosophical materialist. You are your body, and if the body goes, you're no longer. And then you're dead. Just like that. Dead, dead, not spiritual dead. Dead, dead. And a voice says to you, Welcome. And for most people at 4.30, in fact, everyone at 4.30 says, I guess I didn't die if I'm still here and someone talked to me. And the voice says, oh no, 
you did die and you freaked out. Because it's so discrepant from who you thought you were and you go into total confusion, which is often called purgatory. And you just hang in there until you're processed, programmed, re-educated, and sent back. And then, you become a conscious, relatively conscious participant in the dance between incarnations. You see your whole trip at that moment. You see how much work you've done all of your incarnations. You meet all your old mothers and fathers by the thousands. You see that so-and-so was your brother this time and your lover last time and your child that time. There's only about three of us in the whole universe. Now if you can hear the picture I'm painting. Now look at what you are in this moment because what you are in this moment is another one of them. It's another opportunity. It's another set of experiences. It's more grist for the mill for your soul to awaken to its true identity. When you get to understand this, then as I said before, the meaning of your entire life changes because from then on, when you really understand it, everything in your life becomes a vehicle for awakening. It isn't just going to a lecture or meditating, it becomes all of it. And you see that the game is exquisitely designed to provide you with just the opportunities you need to burn out the ways in which you're clinging. Because as Buddha pointed out, it's the clinging that causes the suffering. It isn't living life that causes suffering. It's clinging to this or that. If you cling to health as your body decays, you can't acknowledge the decay, suffering. You cling to being rich and poor, suffering. If you cling to being, having hair and you go bald, suffering. I used to suffer incredibly because I didn't have any hair. I used to comb it over and get long strands and wrap it around incredible suffering because I was trying to hold on to a model of myself as having hair. But it is what it is. And the recognition that the true meaning of an incarnation is to provide a set of experiences for the soul to awaken to its true self. Now let me introduce a concept which is just a concept because what it is is way beyond a concept. An incarnation is an opportunity. It is a set of choices that allow humanity to move into harmony with the will of God or away from it. It's a set of choices that allow you to return to God, which is the source which is the undifferentiated space, which is the Garden of Eden, which is who you turn out to be. That's who you are. That's what you're doing here. If you ask yourself, what am I doing here? That's what you're doing here. 
a thousand times you'll get lost again, you'll forget what you're doing, you'll get lost in your own melodrama, you'll get lost in the absolute reality of the illusion. Illusion isn't quite the right word because it's real, this plane is as real as the plane, as that plane, as that plane, they're all relatively real. When you're in them, they're real. If you have to go to the bathroom, it's real. But many of you here have transcended one level of reality and experienced another level of reality. In that other level of reality, what seemed real doesn't seem real anymore. That one level of reality where you might be in Oklahoma, in this room together, in your headphones, that's only one level. The reason that this level seems so real all the time is because of your attachment to your senses and your thoughts, to your smelling, tasting, touching, feeling, and knowing. You're very attached to your phone, to a particular show on TV to which you're tuned. It's very real. Between 7.30 and 11.59 is the process of slowly awakening, birth after birth or within a birth. The process of becoming more and more conscious to your predicament and less and less attached to this or that, samsara or nirvana, illusion or enlightenment. And what is the process of liberation? Liberation means being liberated from the clinging to any single reality as the reality. There's nowhere to stand. Here we are. Nowhere to stand. And everything you notice here, for example, if you're listening to my words now and forgetting to rise in your being and tune to your soul, you're attached to the level of reality that is fed by your intellect. To some of you, these words are like the background noise. And you and I are moving higher and higher into space with more and more clarity and quietness and openness and spaciousness. That is also planes of reality. A liberated being is both rising spiritually, heart open in love, totally aware at the level of the intellect, physically aware of the body and the way you're sitting and all your pains and aches and pleasures all at the same time, not clinging to this or that, not spacing out, not coming down, going up and coming down is not liberation, it's a roller coaster. Finally, a conscious being is here, and here includes up and down. From 6 to 7.30, you spend lifetimes trying to get high in order to remember what it is you keep forgetting. By around 8 o'clock, you don't forget very often, and then you're just eager to get on with it. And when you're eager to get on with it, you're less attached to your highs. For your highs and lows are all grist for the mill. And in fact, your lows teach you more than your highs. 
Well, that isn't true. Your highs teach you about other planes of reality, and your lows teach you about what's keeping you stuck in this particular reality. But you must understand, and this is the issue of social responsibility, the object of the dance of enlightenment, of coming to God, is not to lose the incarnation. It's not to realize God and forget humanity. For the formless and the form are two different faces of God, and if you deny your incarnation in order to come to God, then you don't know God fully. If you want perfection in your spiritual journey, you must both honor your incarnation and also become totally free of it. You must both look up and recognize that beyond form lies formlessness and that even within form lies the perfection of the design of things, the natural law, the Tao, the way of things. And when you look up, you are awed by the perfection of the work of God, the perfection that includes not only the stars and the planets and the perfection and creation of humanity, but that perfection includes the suffering and the violence and the starvation and the paranoia and the ecological destruction as well as the flower and the butterfly. But if you only see the perfections, then you lose humanity for you cannot stay in such a clear light if you had to close your heart to do it and expect to be fully with God. Before you looked up at 601, you were only looking down and out and all you saw everywhere was suffering. All forms have inherent with them suffering because they are in time and space and they're subject to change and decay. It is just the way of things and there is suffering and your heart bled for that suffering. And sometimes it was unbearable and you had to harden your heart because you couldn't bear the suffering and you looked up or you went inside or you started to experience deeper peace and higher consciousness and felt the perfection of the universe in that clarity. All the horror and the suffering fell into place and you were up in the heights of the Himalayas dancing in the pure white snow. But if you're going the whole journey, then you must look down again. And when you look down again, you see there is blood on the snow. There is the bleeding heart of Jesus. There is the suffering of all sentient beings. It is a strong and conscious and clear and liberated being who can simultaneously look up and down. Who can, with an open heart, experience the unbearable compassion, unbearable compassion and at the same moment look up and see the exquisiteness of the perfection. Such a being is in a position to liberate other beings from suffering. For such a being who knows God and remains on earth or on any other plane of reality, every act that's performed, for such a being, every act that's performed in relation to another human being creates the optimum conditions for that other being to be liberated from the attachment to their own suffering. 
For at the same moment, if you are hungry and I feed you, I'm feeding your belly. But if I'm only attached to being the giver of the food, that environment creates a reality in which you are only the receiver of the food. If, however, I'm giving you the food, but at the same moment, I'm in a space in which there is no giving, no receiving. For we are here always, and we're here, and we will always be here. And this is merely a particular round of the melodrama we are playing out together. Now, when I give you that food, since there is no giver, you are not forced to become the receiver. There can be giving and receiving on one level of reality, no giving and receiving in the other, and you and I can live simultaneously in both of them. Now we're becoming conscious. Now we're moving towards liberation. Now we're getting less lost in the emotionality of the dance. Now we can look at ourselves in this incarnation and see what our capabilities are as incarnated beings to end suffering. We can accept our dharma, our way, and do it as a vehicle for remaining in the perfection of the will of God. Ultimately, the work is to open yourself to all the forms of the universe. What the universe is, whether these forms be on the physical plane, the astral plane, the causal plane, to open yourself to them, to acknowledge them, to honor them and go beyond them. In devotional tantra, this is known as relating to the mother for forms of maya. All forms are understood to be the mother. For the mother is that which manifests, which gives birth, and all forms of the universe are manifestations of the mother. It's not male and female. It's mother and father. Father is the formless. It is not the word God because the word God is part of the manifestation. The word God is the mother. But God which is beyond the word God is the father. The father is in the formless. Christ says, don't get lost in me. I come only to bring you to the Father. I am a form here to take you to the Father. And what is the relationship of you as a seeker to the mother? The relationship to the mother is one of the heart. It is of the fourth chakra. Actually, all the chakras up to the seventh, it involves the loving mother feeding from the mother, drinking from the breast of the mother, consuming the mother, devouring the mother. For the only one that goes to the father is the mother. If you would be the bride of God, you must contain the universe. Who you truly are is the universe. Who you think you are is far less, for the thinking mind cannot comprehend that which is beyond itself. So it's only when your mind is quiet and your heart is open and you drink in the universe so that all experiences that come to you from the moment of birth on, you consume. 
you get lost for a moment and then you consume it until you become perfect in your equanimity. There's death, there's life, there's the mother in the form of Kali, frightening, horrible. There's the mother in the form of Durga, beautiful, seductive. There's the mother in the form of Mary, protective, nurturing, loving. There's the mother in the form of Lakshmi, wealth, fame, largesse. Mother, I honor you. I drink from you. I consume you. For only when mother and son have become one can you know the father. As long as you are afraid of the forms of the universe, you cannot become one with the formless. Enlightened beings, the true guru, is a being who has dived deep into the formless and comes back into form no longer out of personal desire, but because of collective karma in order to relieve the suffering of other beings. At 11.59, you have a choice. The pull from God. The pull from the formless to merge back into the formless and to leave behind your body and your personality and all of your stuff. It's incredible. No blame either way because God is not in time, so there's no rush about this game. You're all going to get enlightened sooner or later. But at 11.59, a few beings push against God to stay in form in order to relieve the suffering of others. That is the sacrificial lamb. That is to leave the father to become the son. That was the sacrifice of Christ not the crucifixion. That's nothing for a liberated being. Taking on the suffering, the karma of others, that's a great joy for liberated beings. Bleeding, pain, death, nothing. Even the statement, Father, why have you forsaken me, can be understood as, Father, why are you glorifying me? Why have you why has the game turned out that everybody is going to worship me instead of remembering you? Why have you taken away my chance to do what it was we set out to do? Don't do this to me. Your work, the photograph I take of you at this moment, is a being who hears. And because you're hearing what I'm saying now, not because I'm saying it, because you hear me in your heart and you know you knew and know that it resonates in truth somewhere within yourself there's no way you can go back the hook is planted the awakening is happening it's irrevocable you can never again get totally lost in the illusion you may make believe that you are, you may try to be, you may wish this whole trip would go away and say it's just another trip, but it won't do it. Unfortunately, you're hooked. And it won't be over until you get to 11.59 and can sit down and make your body firm and draw in a breath and let out that breath and take in no further breath. 
then the body will become stiff and the heartbeat will become quiet. Then you will leave the body and your soul will rise, leaving behind each of your bodies. All of the astral melodramas of the psychic planes leaving behind the masters and the gurus and the methods and you will come into the presence of God. And the last boundaries of separateness will start to disappear. And you'll have a choice. It's the same choice you had at 12 o'clock to eat the apple. Except now it's a conscious choice out of wisdom. At 12 o'clock. It was a choice to find out out of curiosity. Now you're a free being. A being in God. And you can go into the deepest samadhi. And if you program yourself properly, just like setting an alarm clock, you can go in and out of God and come back into form. Staying in form in order to be a life or a way or a vehicle for others to find their way home. But all the time you're on the journey from wherever you are now, 601, 730, 910, 1030, 11.59. You are in your incarnation and you must honor it. Maybe you're a male or female. You're an American or from another nationality. You're a Protestant or a Jew or a Catholic or a Hindu or a Buddhist or Muslim. You're of a certain age. You're in Oklahoma. You're of a certain economic strata. You're of a certain educational and intellectual background. You have certain opportunities and around you is an ocean of opportunity to relieve the suffering of all beings. And you learn awareness. And if your discipline in going to God is perfect, this is tough by the way. You never lose your ground on the way to God. You never forget to put gas in the car because you got too stoned meditating. You keep it together all the way. You're not so busy being with God that if your child falls and hurts itself, you aren't there with consolation. You're not so busy with the beauty of the universe that you forget the inequality of races, the inequality of sexes, the inequality of minority groups the inequality of economic groups, the inequality of nations, the physical pain and suffering of people still lost in the illusion. I work with many dying people. I sit with them. For to me, life and death are all processes to be used in order to awaken to God. I don't demand the person that's dying feel this way or that way or accept my philosophy. I just sit with them. That's my peace concerning their death that provides an environment that allows them, if they're ready, to be free of the anxiety of death and use their death in order to awaken. The moment of death is the optimum moment of the entire incarnation to become with God the moment of shedding the body. 
Mahatma Gandhi as he was shot three times in his garden. As he died, only one word was on his lips. The name for God. Ram. Here I come, God. Are you ready? At every moment, you are ready. At every moment, you are preparing for the marriage. Your whole life becomes a purification. Your work is to cleanse your body. Open the energy so you can tune and handle more and more energy. Open the heart so there is flow, so that you are truly in love with the mother. And still and quiet the mind. Until you are in perfect balance. Loving the mother and entering into the father. Those are the two levels of Tantra. For sexual Tantra is not the intercourse on the physical plane of man with woman. It's the intercourse of the seeker with the mother and ultimately of the mother with the father. Before you are done with Tantra, you are both the phallus, the lingam, and the yoni. You are both the male organ that penetrates into the universe and the female yoni that receives the universe into yourself. For the soul is neither male or female, and all of your sexual melodrama is just that, melodrama. As you come to know your soul, it all becomes just stuff, frigidity, impotence, premature ejaculation, homosexuality, small genitals, no breasts, dot dot dot. It's all just stuff. And you breathe a great sigh, and then you're free to become who you must be. This is the big leagues. This is the ultimate level up. For into this stew goes politics, religion, the arts, the sciences. It's all grist for the mill. But it doesn't mean you deny any of it. You honor it, love it, enjoy it, appreciate it. You just don't cling to it.